0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to Terror Talk with Shannon and Kathy. Hello. Hello. Today on the show, we are starting a new series. Get excited. I should have recorded like a big clapping or something. Oh, (laughs) but I didn't. Thanks, Kathy. One clap in the crowd for a new series that we're starting called The Female Psychopath. So we're going to do several of these episodes. Most of the episodes will be amplified by a a media product. So today, Basic Instinct is the movie that we're going to look at by way of female psychopathy. First, of course, we're going to talk a bunch about the female psychopath. And I believe that every episode that'll probably happen. There's some good research on it. I have certainly dug into that. I know Kathy has. And also just like... Some fun stuff along the way um, that will amplify and explicate and all of the other big words, um, the female psychopath, because I feel like that's something we could definitely do a series on. We could even include um, some true crime real life female, what we consider to be real life, um, psychopaths, including, uh, we're considering doing an episode on Andrea Yates and et cetera, et cetera, whether she's a psychopath or not, we don't know yet because we haven't done the episode. We don't. So we're, we're not going there, but we feel like she could be included in
1: this series. I studied her case very, it's a very interesting case and a very controversial case. It may be interesting to To do,
0: Yeah, so maybe we'll do an episode on that. I don't know if it'll be included in the series or not, but we could, and I know that Kathy has an example of a female psychopath um, that she's going to talk about a little bit here that we might decide to do a whole episode on. Um, Okay, so today, female psychopathy by way of basic instinct. You had an article you wanted to start with.
1: I think it's... Female psychopaths are depicted in Hollywood. Uh, they've re- It's really, over time, really mutated because the way we see women in film and the way we just see women societally has mm-hmm. changed over time. You know, we just did an episode on Giallo not that long ago and just <laughs> how, I mean, it, it's just incredibly misogynistic and... And all about, you know, women really just being raped and pillaged and <laughs> like yeah. not having any voice. Yeah. So I think early on, the way psychopaths were, female psychopaths were depicted in film, were more of the emotionally unstable, borderline histrionic femme fatale. Um, and I think we still see that. But, um, so there's a, there's an article called The Art of Creating a Convincing Female Psychopath. It's from 2018, from um, Raindance, you can find it online, and they talk about how um, Hollywood has a difficult time writing women without women being unhinged and, um, you know, and unemotional. And, and this is probably why Fatal Attraction is still so popular to this day because when we think of a crazy woman, mm-hmm. um, she must be so overwhelmingly. Emotionally unstable—that that doesn't even really truly depict psychopathy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and if if you want to break down, so we have two different types of psychopathy. We have primary and secondary. So secondary is oftentimes what we're going to see in films because it's way more exciting. So these are our men and women who are highly neurotic. They're sensation-seeking. It's much more related to the law-breaking that we'd see in antisocial personality disorder. They're impulsive. They're emotionally reactive. Uh, Sometimes, especially the men, you might see as more socially awkward. So I think a lot of the female psychopaths were drawn from this frame of reference but also then you got you always have to add in the borderline and the histrionic because god forbid we have a female psychopath that really is robotic like many are which would then be defining the primary psychopath which would is that's going to be more of our organized killer or our organized um, criminal low neuroticism callous unemotional fearless dominance these are your CEOs your snakes in suits these are Primarily, we see men in these roles. Um, These are the ones who really are kind of smooth and charming and really know how to manipulate and don't really react much. Uh, They have a very low fear response. So women over time, you know, this article talks about how it's mutated over time, taking inspiration from the 1940s film Noirs. The late 80s, 90s were filled with classically frightening femme fatales, Glenn Close, which I just talked about in Fatal Attraction. We're going to talk about Sharon Stone and Basic Instinct. And I would even say that as much as we'll get into her seduction piece and her sexuality as part of her character drive, I also think Sharon Stone's characters was one of the first female psychopaths that left that very sort of reptilian cool chill versus like Glenn Close or Jennifer Jason Lee in Single White Female. There was something to me much more narcissistic and cool about her than we had seen in in female psychopaths in the past.
0: Yeah, there was a very different, I mean, this this movie is controversial in the women's community in many ways because it's a pretty hateful message about women.
1: Yeah. And, um, and she was very, mas- there was a masculine quality to her despite How feminine she was. Well,
0: and we're not going to go into every moment of the movie, Mm -hmm. but you can go into every moment of the movie and how um, pretty much at every turn you're being told that smart, educated people with degrees in psychology, writers, um, rich women, women of power, um, and and insanely attractive women are the devil basically and that you know there's comments about um a woman who's overweight and older and how they couldn't she couldn't possibly be the killer you know that they don't look at anyone other than the beautiful, rich, smart person who can person manipulate a man. Who can manipulate a man? They don't look at any other suspects. And and if she if she's <laughs> that beautiful and that manipulative, then she must be evil.
1: Evil, right? Anyway, let's blame it on her. So here, I'm going to just give you the the five tips that they say if you want to write a good. Okay. Psycho Female psychopath. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to go into detail. Can't wait to hear it. Number one, sentimental psychopaths don't exist. <laughs> so if you are writing a female psychopath, they are cold just because they have a vagina. They're still cold, they're calculating. And they lack the milk of human kindness, so we we, we can't throw I like the, the milk yeah, metaphor
0: going, course, going on there the
1: boobies. thank you boo foo <laughs> um so they're still not going they're still going to lack empathy and remorse, okay so you can't make them sentimental if it's gonna make sense. Number two, give your femme fatale a hedonistic appetite for casual sex fatal attraction um. You know, and basic we'll do another instinct. episode yeah. on that one. So. Use their sexuality as a weapon to manipulate and disarm men. However, both films fail to demonstrate the more hedonistic. So there's always this idea that if a woman has sex with somebody, it, then she is attached to that person or, or obsessed with that person. There are female psychopaths who are going to use you and never want to see you again.
0: Yeah, we're going to play some clips from the movie, and that's illustrated.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Number three, the subtler, the better male and female psychopaths tend to show different types of aggression although female psychopaths can be as violent as their male counterparts they usually express aggression in subtler ways so this could be manipulation jealousy self-harm verbal aggression number four add a touch of chameleon psychopaths can easily adapt and so often hide in plain sight therefore provide your female sociopath with chameleon like qualities um, so I don't like the show. A lot of people love the show. I don't like the way she's written, but I think I, they, they get a lot of praise for the way she's written is the, the woman in,
0: um, the show killing Eve. Yeah. We'll most likely do an episode on that because and she, yeah. it's one of the representations in our society right now.
1: And I think that one thing that they've been able to do with her character, which I did appreciate was, uh, she Did imitate emotions without actually feeling them. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of female psychopaths in the past, they allude to the fact that the woman is actually feeling that emotion and that doesn't happen. They mimic, they don't feel it, they can't feel it. And then number five, allow yourself to enjoy a creative license. So, you know, if you want to use over exaggerated tropes, um, you know, making someone incredibly robotic. Um, you know, th- that's not necessarily a bad thing because people typically underplay. Um, so with female psychopaths, if you add a little bit more, you're, you're probably just about there is what they're saying, because mm. they tend to they make her still more human and histrionic than psychopathic. So,
0: well, I mean, hmm. so we're going to be having these discussions over a long period of time and diff- with different movies and with different thoughts and stuff because one of the things that the research actually does play out is that um people who score highly on psychopath testing the pclr yeah and some other because they they want to take into account some neuropsych testing like the r bands and also some personality stuff like the mmpis and stuff like that um but all of those gobbledygook letters set it aside that are in our industry, a lot of the research bears out. And I'm going to preface this by saying there isn't enough re- research on female psychopathy for uh, either one of us to say anything <laughs> about it in a many ways. There's just not enough. But we can make some certain extrapolations from our experience and certainly from the research that's happened already is that um, they do find that um, you know, borderline personality disorder is more in female psychopathy mm-hmm. and that antisocial disorder is more in male psychopathy. So early research tells you that you do get more borderline traits in female psychopaths than in male. However, basic instinct, not so much. She's more the violent psychopath, uh, cold, non empathetic, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Uh, From what I can tell, right? I mean,
1: I, I, yeah, I definitely see her as, um, the prime. So I would see her as a primary psychopath and with NPD. There you go.
0: Yeah. So also for you film buffs, this is a 1992 neo-noir erotic thriller. If for some reason you have not seen Basic Instinct, it's definitely part of the lexicon of our filmmaking. I mean, it was incredibly popular. It was directed by Paul Verhoeven, and there's a lot of back backstories about how they how <laughs> they got along, <laughs> how Sharon and this director got along, and there's a very famous scene where you see her lady parts, and <laughs> uh, how. You know, she tells a story about how she was manipulated into doing that. And, you know, there's all kinds of Hollywood stuff around that. It was also written by Joe Esterhaus. So if you guys haven't, if you like Hollywood stuff, stories, good writing, funny, sick, twisted, over-the-top, Hollywood excess type of um, behind-the-scenes books, Joe Estherhaus was... Uh, He's written some great ones. There's one called Hollywood. It's it's a tomb. It's like reading Stephen King. It's like seven hundred pages or something, but they're really great book behind the scene books. And he was a very famous writer, I think, in the eighties and nineties, mostly in Hollywood and prone to excess, shall we say? Anyway, he wrote this movie uh, starring Michael Douglas and um, Sharon Stoon. Stone. Yes, um, I. Hmm. I wanted to talk a little bit about before we get into anything else. I wanted to maybe have a discussion with you about the differences between female and male psych um psychopaths, okay. what we consider psychopaths. So one of the main one of the differences, so there's 7 of these, and so we can discuss whether or not we agree <laughs> or not with this list. Um one of the things that we uh, what that I believe we often see in female psychopathy is that you know a lot of people think about male psychopaths uh, being violent obviously and killing people and you know Bundy killing a bunch of people he doesn't know and all of that. Um one of the things that female psychopaths often do is they get others to do their work for them. They manipulate their more social animals. Mm-hmm. They get others to um do the violence for them. Another part we see is that they will be violent socially, meaning that they'll assassinate your character, repu- the reputation of someone uh, for personal goal or achievement. So in this movie, if, if we go with number one, getting others to do, do your dirty work, in this movie she gets Roxy, yes. her female yeah. lover, yeah. to do a lot of dirty work for her. And Roxy is the more obsessed character that we think of as a female psychopath. And she may very well have well, been. She had
1: a history of murder.
0: Yeah. Um, but Catherine Trammell, which is um, the person that uh, Sharon plays, you know, seems to be like the head of a whole <laughs> harem of psychopaths or something. She collects them and she says that it's for her writing or what have you. But um, Roxy, her girlfriend, is um, the person she gets to do do stuff for her. So that would be in line with mm-hmm. like one of the things that we see. Mm-hmm. Um, another one would be assassinating character or the reputation of others for personal goal achievement. Now, I'm not saying that men don't do these things. I'm just saying that that's something that women will do. Um, and she does that in this where can you read that
1: one again, what did it say?
0: Assassinating someone's character oh, sure. instead mm-hmm. of, um, just killing them necessarily. Mm-hmm. They might, um, or in addition to there'll be this flavor of assassinating character like or a their reputation. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. like in this movie, it would be how she tries to insinuate <laughs> over and over and over again that she knows Nick, right. You know, better than, than she does. Um, so I, I guess you know one of the scenes that amplifies that a lot is the interview scene. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we could let's play a little bit of that. You want to do that? Sure. Okay. So I this is a little clip actually of. So what happens is, someone is murdered, and she's a writer. Uh, Sharon Stone is a writer, and she has written a book. It's exactly like the murder that has happened. And so she becomes a suspect for a lot of different reasons. Um, She happened to have had sex or been dating the person that has died, the man who's been killed, murdered. So they bring her in for questioning. And so they go to the house and they pick her up And what you need to know to prep this scene is that she's already manipulating the shit out of them. Mm -hmm. She's already mindfully let Michael Douglas see her naked. She's already been toying with them from the first moment that they ever spoke. And so now what they've done is they've said, hey, you know, come in for questioning. And she said, okay, and do you want a lawyer? And she's like, why would I need a lawyer? And they kind of walk out of the house. Um, Because of course she's... I mean no psychopath wants a lawyer no. <laughs> no narcissist wants a lawyer so this is the scene that <laughs> of them in the car on the way to the interview
2: do you have a cigarette i don't smoke yes you do i quit congratulations Thought you didn't have any cigarettes. Oh, I found some in my pocket. Would you like one? I told you I quit. It won't last. You working on another book? Yes, I am. It must really be something, making stuff up all the time. Yeah, it teaches you to lie. How's that? You make stuff up. It has to be believable. It's called suspension of disbelief. I like that. Suspension of disbelief. What's your new book about? A detective. He falls for the wrong woman. What happens? She kills him.
0: (laughs) I love that scene. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's so like, it just shows you how, so what do we see in that scene, right? Like how manipulative she is. So she asks him, do you want a cigarette? And he's like, no, thanks. And then there's a big pause that you don't know what she's doing, but what she's doing is she's lighting the cigarette that she, and then he's like, wait a second. I thought you didn't have any cigarettes. And she's like, well, I just found some in my pocket. So it's like this manipulation. And then, um, and then she offers him one. What you don't see when you're listening to the clip, what you don't see is that she, then she puts her hand, she opens up the cigarettes. She puts it on his shoulder. And is like, you want one? He's like, I just told you I quit. Like, Why are you trying to bring me down the the dark path? Which is of course what she's doing. She does it
1: in such a way too, where it feels very effortless and almost like she's not really invested Mm -hmm. in the manipulation. It's Mm -hmm. just so subtle. Yeah. And he's
0: irritated but intrigued and seduced all at the same time. She like just dismissed I love how it's just like when he's like, I thought you said you didn't have any. Where like an average person would be like Oh, oh, well, I'm, uh, she just goes, oh, I found some in my pocket. Like, it doesn't matter that you just caught me in, like, a manipulation. In fact, I'm going to look you straight in the eye and say, I'm writing about you, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and that's part of the hit. Yeah. Like, that's part of the fun. That's part of the seduction is that she looks him right in the eye. Like, oh, what's your book about? Um Oh, a cop who falls for the wrong. Or, oh, what happens to him? Oh, he dies or whatever. She gets killed or whatever she says. And it's like, I'm talking about you and I'm literally threatening to kill you right now. Well,
1: And so this is the, this is where, um, where's my thought? It's right thought before the this. interview. No, I'm saying this is where the psychopath is mm. really good at ha- ha- she's, she's testing his, her ability to manipulate him. Right. And how he responds to that and then easily moving out of that into seducing him. So he sort of forgets because now it's like oh wait, that doesn't matter. She's writing a book about me. (laughs) So this is where they, they do the, the uh, trial, you know, is this someone that I'm going to be able to fuck with? And I'm going to do it in a way that I'm testing his boundaries, but then so easily dismiss it by baiting him into this ego driven thing that I'm doing that he completely forgets. (laughs) That he is, like you said, that she's setting up this whole thing to manipulate, to kill him. And he's like, she's writing a book about me.
0: I know. And that's what they're really good at. I know. And he's so narcissistic, right? Yep. He's narcissistic in this too. Like he's so narcissistic that he's like oh, not questioning oh, that. <laughs> he's like turned on by that. I would be like, you don't know me.
1: Why are you writing a book about, but, but for but someone very either. Yeah.
0: Well, Mm -hmm. someone narcissistic or also in a narcissistic defense period of time, right? Like also very depressed and wanting to, and really needing that attention and really craving that attention from someone um, who's special. Mm -hmm. She's like a millionaire, bright, very, very sexy, et cetera. So he's just like the perfect prey at that moment in time. So I'm, working on a little list here of the differences between female and male psychopaths. And I think I got to number two. So number three was attracted to the caretaking professions, um, or charitable institutions. Yeah, that so, kind of thing. so
1: many in philanthropic work, charity work.
0: Yeah. And, and that's like the supply. Like yeah. Us.
1: So many empaths in that work.
0: Right. And, uh, and also, um, you know, there's a spectrum, so they might be attracted to it genuinely because they have a savior complex or a hero complex where they're attempting to um, be the omnipotent presence that saves, <laughs> that saves everyone from things. Um, but no, that's, it's m- mostly just about if it's a true psychopath, it's just about prey. Mm-hmm. Um, the fourth one would be uh, more likely to be violent against someone they know.
1: So this is the women. We're still talking about women here. Yeah. yeah. The differences
0: between mm-hmm. female and male psychopaths. And these are traits of, of female psychopaths that aren't necessarily traits that you might see in male psychopaths. Kind of like the things that make them more unique. I think it's interesting, though, because with men, we'll, we will see them attracted
1: to a type so, and usually that type is someone who has been in their life. So are they killing someone who resembles an ex they were obsessed with, mm-hmm. or are they killing someone that, uh, resembles their mother and collecting parts of that person? So they do it in a very different way, but mm-hmm. there's still a relatability at times, not sure. always. No, no. I, mm-hmm. I see
0: what you're saying. Like it's still personal. So there's a personal piece. Yeah. Um, but it sounds like that's really interesting. Cause it sounds like there's this like difference between, um, like projecting your person you know's qualities onto someone else, and then kind of sometimes delusionally fantasizing that they are the same person, or um, I guess what some what some people say is that um, there that women from just from the, and again, like there hasn't been a ton of research. There hasn't been enough research. Let's put it that way. They're just t- female psychopaths will be more violent against someone they actually know. Like, and so how that plays out in basic instinct uh, since we're relating it to that is that she's had this succession of marriages or relationships. Um, and that's who, and and she's building a relationship with Michael Douglas to try to kill him. Mm-hmm. Like she's, she, I guess kind of what they're saying is that women will generally, a a lot of times they'll make it personal. Like they'll Mm -hmm. take advantage of them on a much more intimate level, let's say.
1: It almost feels also, maybe this is not the right language, but more predatory versus revenge. So, so like if you look at Ed Gein who killed all those women in the hope of like recreating his mother, sure. You know um, where in these situations it's, it's much more about the, the predatory, Mm -hmm i don't know yeah no i see what you're going
0: i see where you're going with Mm -hmm. that it's um it just has a different flavor to it (laughs) like there's these there's these similarities where it's in the same camp but it's almost like the execution and the behavior around it Mm -hmm. is more female um i mean the genders are different Mm -hmm. so well and a lot it's going to express differently i guess is my point
1: a lot of whether you're looking at Domestic violence, or psychopathy, or any of those more male-driven—at least we see more crimes Just committed. Prevalence, yeah, yeah sure—is uh, the the misogyny, the underlying misogyny. So it's good. That's obviously going to play out different with a woman because you're not. There's the absence of the misogyny. Mm-hmm. Like femininity is a sign of weakness mm-hmm. in a lot of these domestic abusers. Um, so that's not necessarily captured in female psychopaths, that wouldn't really make a lot of sense. So of course they're going to have a different drive.
0: Yeah, that's exactly. Um, and that's how it would look different. Um, the next one, the fifth one, I believe I'm on number five is they, they can wear a badge of victimhood to appear superior. Mm -hmm. So it might be that they, um, say that they're being stalked Mm -hmm. and that they need your help and that, um, you know, I'm, I'm a victim. And so, that's why you should take care of me or what have you, or they'll just straight up lie. You know, I have cancer and be, be my friend because of that. It's like gaslighting manipulation to it's, it's one, I think it's one of the more manipulative tactics to bring you into the fold. Right. Or to bring you back after that someone gets your number. Yeah. (laughs) And, and it's like, Oh, well I, but I'm, um, you know, I was r- raped the other day and you need to, I mean, it's just like really horrible it's, it's, lies. It's primal. Yes. Too. If you think survival. about, it, it's total survival. If you think about the animal kingdom, mm-hmm. you know, and
1: just the the playing dead or playing possum or whatever, and sort of waiting for, you know, alligators,
0: crocodiles, just kind of sitting and waiting. Absolutely. And yeah. I also think that some of the, a couple of the qualities I've already mentioned that, you know, are possible differences go in line with the early research that sort of tells us that female psychopaths have a a higher prevalence of borderline personality disorder than male psychopaths, just in Mm -hmm. what they've tested and in the populations that they've used and that kind of quality, that victim victim mentality is part, could be part of that. Also the, um, the assassination of character and the reputation of others and that kind of toxicity that could kind of be in that borderline pile.
1: And that makes total sense to me because if we think about even the prevalence of at least on what we know, I mean, this research is, it's hard, but the prevalence of narcissism versus borderline, we're seeing more men over here, more women over here. And how much of that is, um, nurture.
0: Sure. And how much of that is that, um, you know, one of the things you have to protect for in this research is that women are not considered psychopaths a lot of times. And so because they're demonstrating these, they'll go towards borderline personality or Uh histrionic personality, or even narcissism or Mm a, or ASD, you know, antisocial, they'll go towards that as opposed to giving them, you know, a psychopath test. There's a huge blind spot. I see this even in the work that I do in testimony.
1: Um, when when there's this potential that the mother is the narcissist mm-hmm. out of the two parents she's well more she's more often protected in court because she plays the covert vulnerable Narcissist. the Caretaker.
0: More, the, yes. Caretaking. They want to be seen as the care. Like that's goes back to, I think number three or something that I said, like they want, they're attracted to caretaking professions, but they're just attracted to being seen as the caretaker. That's right. The and person the, taking care of things. And
1: they're very good at pointing out how much they care. Right. So I see it all the time and how the, how they tend to pull the wool over the judges and their own therapists and and their therapists generally they will select older men. Mm-hmm. as their therapist, because these older men will go, a woman could never do that. I right. need to protect her.
0: Right. So how does she, what does she do? She feeds his ego and lets him really care for her. Right. And I, I do want to play um, a couple more clips from the movie. And I think that leads us kind of right into it in the sense that this is not the therapist situation, but what happens is after that car ride that we were just listening to, they're literally taking her into the station to be questioned. And, What happens is this, again, this is a bunch of men, (laughs) right? Sitting in front of her and she's this very sexy, seductive, manipulative woman. And it's like, it's like the perfect audience for her. Sure. So let me just, let me play this um, real quick.
2: I'm John Corelli, Ms. Trumell, Assistant District Attorney. I have to inform you this session's being taped. This is Captain Talcott. My pleasure and lieutenant walker hi can we get you anything a cup of coffee no thank you are your attorneys going to join us mr mill has waived her rights to an attorney did i miss something i told him that you wouldn't want an attorney present oh why have you waived your right to an attorney mr mill why did you think i wouldn't want one i told him you wouldn't want to hide
0: i have nothing to hide So I wanted to play that little bit first because I think it's um, interesting in the sense that, so what do we, what do we hear in that? We hear um, him knowing her and predicting her behavior and him thinking he's a smarty pants, like you and like you and I are often like, Hey, I know how this person's going to act. You know, we predict a lot of behavior in our work. And so he's doing that, but she hands him that she says, well, what did you think? I why do you think I don't want an attorney? So we're learning a couple of things in that moment. We're not only learning that she doesn't want an attorney because she's so narcissistic that she knows that she can beat a polygraph and she can beat yeah, them in the room she,
1: and, and she they can end win up
0: firing all of them anyway. Right. But she she also this is the this is the double um, this is the deep fake she's doing, which is as behavioralists we can see is that she hands it to him. She says, I don't know, Nick, you tell me why I don't want an attorney. And then that pumps him up at his own narcissist. So she's literally handing him the power sure. hypothetically or pre- in pretend where someone who's not particularly skilled like Michael Douglas in this movie is going to go like, huh see I knew her I knew her I I had her number but she's the one that handed him that moment so it's just it's really subtle um and then I'm going to play the rest of the interview which is a little bit longer um that I think just you know we can pause or talk over it or whatever but it's just this interview where they interview her is is just just really good so I'm going to play this
2: There's uh, no smoking in this building, Miss Tremell. What are you gonna do? Charge me with smoking? Would you tell us the nature of your relationship with Mr. Boz? I had sex with him for about a year and a half. I liked having sex with him wasn't afraid of experimenting I like men like that men who give me pleasure he gave me a lot of pleasure you ever uh, engage in any sadomasochistic activity exactly what did you have in mind mr. Carelli Never tie him up? No. You never tied him up? No. Johnny liked to use his hands too much. I like hands and fingers. You describe a uh, white silk scarf in your book. I've always had a fondness for white silk scarves. They're good for all occasions. But you said you like men to use their hands, didn't you? No, I said I like Johnny to use his hands. Don't make any rules, Nick. I go with the
0: flow. Using his name like that. <laughs> Did
2: you kill Mr. Boz, Mr. Trammell? I'd have to be pretty stupid to write a book about killing and then kill somebody the way I described it in my book. I'd be announcing myself as the killer. I'm not stupid. We know you're not stupid, Miss Trammell. Maybe that's what you're counting on to get you off the hook. Writing a book gives you an alibi. Yes, it does, doesn't it? But the answer is no. I didn't kill him. Do you use drugs, Mr. Mel? Sometimes. You ever use drugs with Mr. Boss? Sure. What kind of drugs? Cocaine. Have you ever fucked on cocaine, Nick?
0: Just bringing him into it. And his name every time. Every time. So personal. The music starts. So this is when she crosses her legs. (laughs) Uncrosses them.
2: You like playing games, don't you? I have a degree in psychology. It goes with the turf. Games are fun. What about boxing? That's a game. Is that fun, too? I don't think that's relevant to this inquiry. Boxing was fun till Manny died how'd you feel when he died i loved him it hurt how'd you feel when i told you johnny Boss had died i felt like someone had read my book and was playing a game but it didn't hurt no because you didn't love him that's right even though you were fucking him you still get the pleasure didn't you ever fuck anybody else when you were married nick how'd you know he was married maybe i was just guessing what difference does it make you like a cigarette, Nick?
0: Again, with the cigarettes.
2: You two know each other? No. No. How'd you meet Mr. Bias? I wanted to write a book about the murder of a retired rock and roll star. I went down to his club, I picked him up, and I had sex with him. You didn't feel anything for him, you just had sex with him for your book. In the beginning. Then I got to like what he did for me. That's pretty cold, ain't it, lady? I'm a writer. I use people for what I write. Let the world beware. You want me to take
0: a lie detector test? <laughs> <laughs> then, yeah, so... <sighs> Her narcissism. I know, man. <laughs> she just... um There's a big break in there of silence where she says... Hey Nick, have you ever had sex on cocaine? And that's when the very famous crossing and uncrossing of the legs where she has the whole room captivated. Yeah. Like with narcissistic feminine power. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean she controlled that whole room with her sexuality. Um
0: yeah, the but- scene is great because it like goes back and forth between her and her like cavalier, casual like, no, we don't know each other or, you know, oh, Nick and using his name and all of that between her and and the way she's just sitting so comfortably and casually in herself. And then the men who are like sweating and uncomfortable mm-hmm. <laughs> and Nick is going back and forth to the water thing. And it's just it's yeah. really well done.
1: And her way of. um <laughs> Pulling him over to her side too, because that's very confusing, right? Like he's supposed to be level-headed and with these guys and, and he's really just falling more and more and more and more into her trap.
0: Yeah. When he, and yeah, yeah. He really is. I mean, and when you're watching him, he's just got this sort of like smug smile thing going on. It's like if you're used to watching Michael Douglas, you know what I'm talking about. It's got it's it's a perfect trap for his acting as well, because he's just got this like smug kind of narcissistic thing going on. It just works perfectly for who he who he thinks he is. Well,
1: and the same thing. And I know we're not talking about this today, but he plays the similar victim in fatal attraction yeah. where it's like, how could this happen to me? Well, you're playing a part in it or you're the having game. an affair or the game. The yes. movie, The game, yeah. right.
0: He plays this part where very well his, his narcissism gets to gets the better of him
1: and that you're supposed to somehow, which I didn't in any of these roles feel sorry for him. Uh huh. No. I was like, you did all this
0: to yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I don't I don't feel sorry for him in this either. Mm-hmm. Um, I see him as sort of, I see him as an anti-hero where he's succumbing to his own, you know, shit. <laughs> like his own dynamics are kind of handicapping him all the way along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so the sixth thing I'll say is faking emotions in a genuine way. Mm-hmm. Now, this isn't that scene, obviously, that we played, but there's a scene later in the movie where, Roxy has died, her um, female kind of counterpart or person that she parties with at least, and that comes over the house a lot and plays in the sexual games. Roxy will often watch her have sex with men. Mm-hmm. Um, And so that's just a power thing. She's playing over Roxy in a really bad way. And it also is the way that she manipulates Roxy into doing her dirty work, which goes back to the first thing I was talking about, about like getting others to do your violence or your Mm -hmm. dirty work, so to speak. But so faking emotions in a genuine way. So when Roxy dies, there's a scene where she's sitting with Michael Douglas and crying and showing sadness over Roxy being gone. And what I think that is is really her just being um maybe more on the borderline spectrum a little bit and just being sad over the abandonment.
1: Possibly. Yeah, and or just sad over the supply being gone, but I guess that that could be either
0: abandonment or it could just be the I mean it's a missing too. of yeah. some way. Yeah, It's just not the missing that like you and I would be like feel a, a void of that person right. other. You know, being an other like that other person actually existed and was a, a person all all by themselves. Whereas this is like losing the the mirror image. We've well,
1: talked about this in other other
0: episodes before, but when
1: people think if a narcissist cries after a breakup, mm-hmm. you'll hear somebody go, "Well, maybe they weren't a narcissist." Mm-hmm because they cried mm-hmm. they're not crying though for the loss of that person yeah
0: like people will say that all the time to me like oh but you know they can't be narcissistic or psychopathic or manipulating me or gaslighting me or taking advantage of me because the other day when this thing happened you know they were really sad they were crying they were upset um and i've had that in situations myself with narcissists that i've known or um, people that i felt were on the psychopathic spectrum. Yep. Um, that were very emotional about things. And I interpreted huge, that as real emotion.
1: Yeah. But not for what, just different drive, right? Yeah. Different reason. And I think it's a huge, um, oversight in the field for yeah. psych assessment. That Absolutely. We that emotion. We assume it's empathy. We assume it's remorse. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. I can't, I mean, I'm sure this happens to you all the time, but I can't tell you how many discussions I have about like, but they really, they were really well-meaning because they were really sad about, X, Y, Z. It's and like, we see it oh. with the vulnerable
1: narcissists all the time.
0: But if you take it into account with all the other things, right? Like like we're always talking about, like assessment is about the whole and not just each part. So the seventh thing would be a series of short-term relationships that don't really pan out or, promiscu- or being very promiscuous and not having relationships. So... In Basic Instinct, she's obviously promiscuous, but she also has a series of short-term relationships, even marriages. And what ends up happening is because of the the structure of this kind of personality or, or system is that it just doesn't sustain over the long haul because either they or either she can't tolerate the other person being an other For long periods of time, over decades or whatever. um, Or that person gets healthier and goes, you know, screw you. I'm out (laughs) of here. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Which is when
1: you might actually see them cry, too, because mm -hmm. their ego or their, yeah has nothing to do with actually absolutely. person.
0: So just in general, we could consider that female psychopaths um, are more in it for the superiority and the attention seeking. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of what those sort of seven things kind of say, I guess, yeah. um, for, you know, the sake of conversation, we'll be talking a lot about different things. I think you were going to bring in um, yeah, a just real life. Bring, just,
1: you know, lastly here, I, w- I wanted to bring in, um, since we're just starting this series, the, f- I think it's the first known female psychopath we have in like noted in history. So mm-hmm. her name is, Jane Toppin, I think is how you pronounce a nickname, Jolly Jane, an American serial killer. After her arrest in 1901, she confessed to 31 murders. By the way, she, I believe she was a nurse. So we've talked about the caretaking, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the easy access to abuse of power and, and being trusted. So she was quoted as saying that her ambition was to have killed more people, helpless people, than any other man or woman who ever
0: lived. Wow. So if that doesn't She's literally like if we're gonna talk metaphor, which I always kinda of throw in here, she's literally killing off the the victim or the weak part of herself. Yeah. Yes. Over and over and 100%. over. A hundred percent.
1: And she was doing it through injections. You know, she would give elders yep. injections of something that would then like euthanize them basically. Mm-hmm. But one hundred percent if you want to go to that depth place.
0: Yeah, and I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I just I just see the idea of, you know, killing off the vulnerable, the vulnerable, weak, Mm shamed, childlike part of herself over and over again and wanting to like, like she even says her goal is to kill it off, kill everyone off that's weak or sick or vulnerable. Um, And that was her goal. And I can totally see that as part of a psychopath character you know, just yeah. get rid of, I am not weak. I am not small. I am not sick. I will go on forever type of thing. And that kind of goes back to last week's where we we're talking about vampires, you yep. know, the vam- the narcissistic vampire just wants to live forever and have no weakness and not be able to be killed mm-hmm. and be immortal. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that's a narcissistic dream. Get rid of anything that makes you vulnerable to mm-hmm. your expiration date. Yep. So maybe Jane is somebody we should do an episode on for yeah, this. We, could, we can do a little bit
1: more research on her.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It might be interesting. The first, mm-hmm. at least the first known or studied, let's say. That would be interesting. Basic instinct. So, just from a movie perspective, do you like this movie? Love it. it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Love it. I just think, I mean, it, there's a lot of, I mean, looking back at it now, I, I think it would be made very differently now because it is incredibly misogynistic. But if you can put that aside, mm-hmm. I think it was. I remember, I was, I think in my teens, maybe when it came out, I can't remember, but I remember it. I remember being seduced and terrified all at once because she's so
0: beautiful and seductive and perfect Mm -hmm. and terrifying. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a very erotic movie, Mm -hmm. you know, to see as a young person, it must have felt very erotic because there are naked everybody's naked <laughs> women well, Women are it, naked it was and michael's naked one there's, of the first times too that
1: in film that you were seeing a, a bisexual character yep. too which made her more seductive right like she did not discriminate she
0: absolutely yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and there's a piece of that too in the literature if you want to go to the side where people um women in particular can sort of love to hate this movie it's like makes them it allows them to feel guilty about liking this movie that's a feeling that comes up um that you're sort of talking about not that you felt guilty but that but that you felt that that push pull Mm -hmm. of the psychopath of Mm -hmm. like i want to have sex with her and i also want to get this far away from as possible from her it's kind of the feeling and i think that's the feeling i read a couple of um I read one research article in particular, but another sort of more um, popular article about um, the lesbian community sort of saying, and the female feminist community sort of saying like, all right, so if you're successful, smart, Mm -hmm. into psychology, gorgeous, and a lesbian, you're, uh, you know, they include that as well. Like then you are a bad, you're a bad person. You're a psychopath. I also think though, too, I mean, I'm going to even,
1: I'm going to, I'm going to take that a different way. Mm -hmm. Um, You can look at it that way. But I also think we see psychopathy in a fucked up way as a strong person because of their, their ability to shut off. Right. So could a straight woman actually do that? I mean, yes, we know that. Right. But, but, I, but I hear you. Let's look at Giallo. They, they talked about the same thing. Every time that woman got out of a situation, it was by a woman who was either bisexual or lesbian. She was the more powerful mm-hmm. character. So how much we tie masculine traits to someone who doesn't identify as a
0: heterosexual female, she's automatically stronger mm-hmm and they're but they're and they're sort of saying because this is definitely a film made in a masculine Hollywood environment mm-hmm. just by the people that I know that were involved very kind of misogynistic. I mean I still think
1: that's offensive what I just said. Yeah, no. Yeah. I, I I hear yeah. you.
0: <laughs> Thank you for being clear. You're being offensive. No, um <laughs> um it's just uh, in that climate you just see how it's uh, you know Older women, not beautiful women, not smart women, not rich women are, are not even looked at. In no, this they would movie. not be able to pull this over. No, no, no. And they're sort of saying she's a pervert. Yeah. That's, that's they're sort of what they want to add her to sexuality the, because yeah.
1: she has an appetite, no a healthy appetite for sex. I mean, it goes to killing. So, yes. you know, I'm not We're talking about talking. that, <laughs> that she's, you know, when she's even describing this guy, you know, he liked to use his hands and all this stuff. They're they're trying to pathologize
0: that in the moment.
1: So that must mean you're a twisted fuck. Absolutely. You're a whore.
0: And and what they're doing is like these, these traits or these um, ideas around how female psychopaths are different that we were talking about, you know, they're taking those and they're distorting them into this. Like it could be a feminine, you know, there could be a feminist issue (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) is sort of what happens Um, because they're of course taking her sexuality and making about making it about brutal murder which isn't next necessarily correlated right yeah yeah interesting yeah 1992 i mean there was a climate too even the music and stuff that you heard in the clips it's like oh that's so 1992 We don't have that much music the over cars
1: and the clothing and all. Yeah. Very oh my God. Like, hey, we're, not in the, we're not in the eighties anymore. Even we do the drug choice. We do Coke and wear uh <laughs> uh shoulder pads. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she did
0: have shoulder pads. Oh my God. No. I, yeah. And I think
1: that he had like a sweater that kind of
0: looked like, like it did. Too, oh yeah, yeah. When he was at the club. Yeah. Oh no. The V-neck, the V-neck sweater with his chest showing. Yes. So oh, oh, 1992. Oh God. <laughs> Calm down, Michael D. Calm down. I um, rewatched this for this episode and I had not watched it in a long time. So it was a really interesting Mm -hmm. watching it from this vantage point, Mm -hmm. especially doing this show and kind of looking at it from a different way and kind of looking at the structure of it. It's like they hit a lot of those points and it's neo-noir. So it's definitely over the top. Mm -hmm. It's got that sort of melodramatic feel to it. But yeah, I really enjoyed it, too. Mm hmm. And I know, I now feel like I know it better as well. Yeah,
1: I watch it every now and then.
0: (laughs) Cool. Well, thank you so much for listening to us. This has been an episode of Terror Talk. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everybody. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Terror Talk. Please check out our Patreon page, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We'd love to engage with you as part of our community please take a moment to leave us a comment on any of our social media. Thank you so much for listening. And once again, sleep safe.